this uh, best friend who always had really nice shoes. She was really small, so I could uh, wear them when I was 12 years old. So that's where it's kind of started the fascination with objects and fabrics and, and clothes. Uh, and like then I think it's a bit more normal when you start liking that, you start like drawing. And I was lucky to not be born in a world where internet was everywhere. So I had the time to be bored and had, having nothing to do. So I was like taking like scissors and and pen and pencils and drawing all day because in Britain or France there's nothing else to do um, and then yeah it's like typical I studied design very early on I even went to a boarding school when I was 14 to start studying design in a more broad perspective so it was object interior graphic design and a tiny bit of fashion because I was like 15 so you don't really know what you want to do at that age but very quickly after A-level in, uh, we call that art appliqué in French, I went to do um, Bac plus 2. So it's two years after the A-level in, in fashion design. Again, in a very small town in the west of France called Cholet. And not the best school when it comes to trends and fashion because you're not really, uh, you don't see a lot of, the scene happening it's more about uh, technical knowledge but it was quite interesting that's again the way you learn that if you want to do something it's doesn't the knowledge doesn't always come from teachers but it comes from the community that you create and the friends and the artists that you surround yourself with um voila after mm. that i had the chance to do a um, internship in a, what you call a trade agency called Nelly Rudy mm. in the fabric department. So that's where I started to like really build my passion for for fabric and surfaces and textures. Um, and then decided to enroll in what we call a DSAA, Diplôme Supérieur d'Art Appliqué. Yeah, the French people are very good with very long names. <laughs> um, in sounds textile amazing. design. So again, that was in the north of France with a very good group of teachers from like automobile, automotive, from graphic design, interior design, very creative and conceptual um, study even though there was a tiny bit of technique as well, like screen printing and knitting and weaving. So it was kind of an, a nice way to learn to conceptualize and really crazy ideas and through the books that you can read or and learning how to look at a drawing to then create another one and another one, another one to really become creative to really deep extent so that was a really good school even though very intense emotionally and um, in terms of hours but after you've done that I think you kind of prepared to work in the fashion world in the professionally because the long hours you still keep doing them after um, so that was two years I was probably 18 when I left and I Wanted and to speak gonna, English. 
if I could just interrupt you real quick. Yes. So, so, so basically, you you knew from a super early age yeah. that you need you needed to to be a des- you work with design to to sort of develop these skills and to did you I mean did you articulate that as as being fashion or was it just like to create and to be like when when did you become like super aware of like the fashion element of design was that with you the whole time? I think I was fourteen. And I had a mother that was like listening to me and trusting me enough to be like, okay, I know nothing about it, but if that's what you want to do, let's try. Wow. So, that's great. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's kind of a chance to know what you want to do in such uh, early on. Even though after I was like, maybe the Buddha, maybe I want to be a fine artist, maybe I want to be a painter. And I still explored that a little bit. But I think really early on, I was, I kind of knew. That, that's what I wanted. Hmm. Maybe then, not for the uh, same reasons, though. I think at the beginning yeah, it's because right. I wanted to travel. But it's um, mm, what were You, you wanted to get away from Britney, didn't you? you because for me, I think it was being a, a designer was like an opening to the world. And you had yeah. to travel to get inspiration from everywhere. Quite a romantic idea, isn't it? Now we just go on the yeah, internet. It's quite, it's quite a, I think it's quite poetic, isn't it? It's so, very so, poetic, yeah. yeah. Well, I did so travel that, because it took me an, an adventure in a way. After, yeah. uh, so after my study, I went to live in London for, I think, a year. Again, very exotic part of uh, the UK to um, study for six months very and what i like about the uk it's quite different to france is a uh, very tailored and uh, skilled based like i knew i learned how to like make a jacket and sew it from a to z it was mm. very tailored based and that was very interesting a bit less conceptual um and vivienne westwood after for an internship for six months wow it feels like such a long time ago <laughs> uh, voila um, then so did I you... did so I wanted to be fluent in English that's why I went there and then I joined the Institut Français de la Mode IFM um, very like big business school when it comes to fashion and luxury business it's, it's, uh, I mean that's one of the main can we say that yeah. that's one of the main fashion schools in Europe I for business, yes, I think it's one of the top or second best business school in oh, the world, so. even. Uh-huh. Oh, I, yeah. I, I actually, okay, I, I was just thinking about that as a fashion school, but of course not. So they have two master degrees. They have one management, so, and again, people from all different backgrounds, you can be an architect, you can be a lawyer, you can be studying communication, science politique, or a designer, more design like me, and then you all meet in one school where you study like more the business side of uh, fashion. You have another, another master degree where you do only fa- fashion design, so you can do shoes, bags, or, or clothes. Mm. Right, the, the management side of it. So you had like that diversity of design um, through a large, large part of your your education, then basically. So it hasn't yeah. been just pure mm-hmm. fashion. It's just the last part, the last. Uh, so I did kind of like six years in design, and the last year was more like management because I was like, 
okay, maybe now I need a network and maybe mm. now I need to learn how to do things properly in a more... Mm. Like, it's an in, fashion is an industry. You create an object that needs to function with a... Contrainte, like, it, it needs to be... A, keep you warm, you need to, put, need to put your arm in it, you need to be a certain price, you need to reach a certain market. I think it's really important to be a bit more practical because I noticed mm. that when you study fashion in France, it's very up in the air and very conceptual and not very realistic. Mm. So I think it was quite interesting to go study abroad to learn that more realistic part as well. That's interesting. Do, do you think? Do you think people sometimes, or did you do you find that people mix up uh, art and fashion and like sort of there's a fluidity between the two? Because I think what you're describing there is like is fashion as business. Um, do you have? How do you think? Feel about that like well is there a it's funny because or? there was a joke with my ex boss at selling like she always said that fashion designer were like artists they always always want to be artists but they didn't dare to be poor so that's when to uh that's why they did fashion design because i think there's always a part of a fashion designer who wants to be free of any uh uh yeah they just want to do art for this, for nothing else but art. When you're a fashion designer, you, you do a clothes that needs to be wearable, that needs to answer a function. So yeah, I think there's always a part of that dream in every fashion designer to be better than that, better than just doing clothes or drawing clothes. I, that's my uh, feeling of it. That's why they always like pull out artists as a inspiration to just justify also this uh, um, lack of, um, like, not daring, maybe, mm. to be an artist. But well, I, mean, I think there certainly there's are a lot of different types out there. Of course, and there certainly are close-knit. Um, but I think, you know, when something is commercialized, like, it's, it's, uh, it's that, it does step into a different category, but, I, yeah. But it, I think that's always an interesting, and uh, it, it's not something that needs to be like clearly defined. But I think, yeah, it's an interesting um, differentiation. And also, I think that the way we do fashion now in twenty twenty is a lot different than how it was done in the nineties. Like, I feel when you look at what Margiela was doing, there was no um, marketing team no. or merchandising team that were telling him to do like a, a pen for that price or a coat for that price with that fabric from last year because it was very successful. Even though we know like fashion by essence is a constant newness. Um, so I think in the 90s, I would say, or even before there was room for creativity and experimentation, now it's just, it's a lot more recipe mm. for success and for um, like commercial success. Absolutely, and I mean, it's I mean, it's become such a huge industry in, in in those decades as well. And I think, I mean, I would like to think that there still are some some brands that work, you know, extremely creatively, and but maybe they aren't strong enough um, uh, commercially to to last uh, and to sustain that vision. But but I think, I mean, Vivian Westwood, I think, is an interesting example in that regard. Like, I mean. She doesn't strike me as very commercial, that's for sure. No, that's true. 
No, no, not not commercial at all. That's true, and I think there's a, a lot of room for exploration when it comes to uh, pattern making, because that yeah. was one of the strong skills. And like you, you could tell there was a lot of pattern makers when I was working there. Mm. Um, but again, I think it's because when we saw the money we could make with clothes and fashion, then it was really hard to accept as a fashion designer working for yourself or a small brand that you yeah. could you couldn't get the same amount of money that like you can get a Vuitton or something like that. So I think it uh, it became just a question of money unfortunately. Mm, that is unfortunate. But so, I don't know, maybe Celine, it's, I'm a bit biased because it was one of my first jobs. So I was kind of, and working for, with Phoebe and for Phoebe was kind of my dream job. But I really found there that there was a lot of room for exploration in a lot of different ways, like in clothes and pattern making with the atelier in fabrics. And sometimes it works, and I didn't, and it was and required us to make to work a lot. But there was a lot of room for trying, trial and error, a lot of it. That's amazing. I think that's yeah. I think think that's the most important thing for for creativity is that there is room for failure. I think that's the most difficult thing sometimes to to embrace. But um, so, but you mentioned early, with talking about your story, uh, just you know, working with textiles and textiles, and you you are a textile designer. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what it means to to be a textile designer for you? Like, what does that look like? Um, what do you, what do you, yeah, how would you so, describe what you do? Yeah, so te- yeah, there's a lot of different ways of being a textile designer. That's true. I think in fashion, and especially uh, in ready to wear. Because I think in couture it might be different, different. But um, so being a, a textile designer is working a lot with a, a team of uh, designers, so clothes designer, and understanding the it's meeting their um, design desire, let's say. So they envy of the season when they do like mood boards or when they come with vintage. They kind of they kind of share with you the identity of what they want to what they want to say or what kind of woman they see for the next collection, mixed with the identity of the brand. Uh, and as a fabric designer, you come up with ideas of uh, fabrics that can be plain fabrics. It can be pattern. Can be printed. It can be checkered. It can be anything, depending on the brand you work for. And you kind of gather and you do a collect of a lot of materials that you get from different vendors, either in France, in the U- in the UK, in Italy mainly, a bit of Japan if you work, and those ones mainly if you work in a, for a luxury business. And you collect all those information, or you work directly with mills in those countries and you develop special fabrics for the own um, exclusive for the brand you work for so by choosing a certain type of yarn with a certain type of weaving construction you can create new fabrics uh, that are that are trying to embrace and relate the the feeling of a designer of, of designers or creative directors uh, to 
to become like more special and to make a difference on the runway, I think it's important to express a creativity uh, through fabrics and and as we always say in fashion, it's always uh, the fabrics fault when the clothes doesn't work on on someone's. It's never the idea that is wrong. It's always the fabric that is not exactly right. So it's kind of the the starting point of everything uh, because it will. Uh, it will deter determine like how the clothes fell, uh, fall on your shoulders, on your body, and that will definitely define a silhouette and then the strength of a woman, let's say. Um, so at Celine, it was like a lot of experimentation because it was quite crafty from like patterns to uh, embroidery to planes. And you always have to work as well with having in mind uh, different price points uh, to understand that the cost of a fabric is means a lot in the price of a final clothes. So you can't go crazy all the time. Um, it needs to be the right fabric for the right price. And that comes with only seeing tons and tons and tons of it. And uh, when I worked with the raw a tiny bit after, I think it was more like in the details. It was because it's such a, a minimalist brand. It's not only a, it's not only about being uh, like loud and bright and a new idea between the season. It was okay. We doing a lot of veggies and we're working a lot with weaving. It needs to be slightly different each time. Very luxury but not that something that you can see every day. So it was a lot more in detail than in depth, which led me also to my uh, new company. So I work for a French, big French company in Paris now. And there it's like the pinnacle of quality and, uh, and yeah, more quality than newness. It's actually the opposite. It's about like being the best of the best all the time. It's also another degree of uh, of thinking and creativity. They're all quite complementary mm. to each other. So there's a lot of ways to being a, a fabric designer. Mm. I think it's it's really interesting because it's it's one of those, I mean, when you, okay, say that you meet somebody at a party and, and they have a job that... I mean, you could imagine that it exists, but you've never really thought about it and what it entails. And I think, you know, what you're describing, I mean, maybe we take the fabrics for granted somehow, where it's just like you just pick it off of a shelf and you, you work with it or but the fact that there goes so much thought into it and, you know, the weave as you describe it and how, it, you know, the weights and the feel of it in the hand. It, it's, uh, it's very central. Yeah. Very central. It's one of mm. the first things that you do. When you pick a clothes, it's the, you touch the fabric. So you need to create a, a reaction. It can be like, oh my God, I love it. I want to spend my life in it. Oh, I want to sleep in it. Or oh, it's like, oh, that's creepy. I don't want to ever touch that anymore. I think yeah. it's important to create that emotion. And that's the first touch. It's not actually the cut or at, at least when you shop. In, in real life, I would say. Digitally, I think it's different, but um, it's the touch. It's very, like, yeah, central, I would say. Absolutely. 
Um, you mentioned but now people are choosing fabrics by taking pictures, you know, and they're like, oh, it looks <laughs> good on pictures. Let's buy it. And they don't care about how it sells on the body. Because people now aren't still not traveling as they used to. Is that, is that what you mean? To, to, to find no, the, it's because uh, we buy a lot more on the internet. So when a designer designs a clothes, and I think it was someone working at Supreme or Off-White was telling me that like they just take pictures of fabric when they, they select them at vendors. They're like, oh, that photographs very well. I think that's going to work for that brand. Mm. Mm, it was completely different. They didn't barely touch it. It's yeah. just visually. Well... That's, I guess that's how, I mean, how a lot of brands work today. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's an approach too. And, and something that's, it's, it's an interesting um, way of doing it as well. But yeah, I, I, I really, it, what you're saying about the sensuality of a fabric and that touch and that uh, spontaneous and instinctual reaction you have with it. I think there's something really quite profound about that. Um, and, and you mentioned quality, um, what does quality mean for you? Like what's, um, and, and why is, I mean, you already, you already talked about why quality is important, but yeah. What does quality mean for you? Um, hmm. uh, I mean, I think, I think one, I, mean, I one think it's like in, as a person, I think quality means something that will last. Um, because, I mean, we're in the era of talking about sustainability and stuff. And yes, a really beautiful polyester is very sustainable because it's going to last for 100 years. Even when you're going to bury it, it's going to still get be there in 100 years. <laughs> but um, I think quality for me means like mainly natural fibers. But I think that's because of the background I come from, um, natural fibers of like well-treated animals. And it's just the whole cycle is needs to be very precise in the way you spin your yarn and the way you weave it. The attention to details when you do a final product from like the seam, the color of the thread, you're going to need to sew it together and how you're going to like shoot it. And it's just like... It's really hard to talk about qualities. You just know it when you see it. But for that, mm. you need to see like tons and tons and tons of things. I remember my first job at Céline. My boss asked me to look for a Georgette. I didn't even know what a Georgette was. And I had to see like hundreds of them. And again, for another type of fabric called a caddy, it's like the fabric that every woman wears, like kind of fluid silk or fluid viscose that you wear that is chic. And like everyone, no one knows how it's called, but everyone wears it. And I remember my boss was like, oh, look how beautiful this is. And I was like, it looks exactly the same than the one just that you showed me <laughs> and you're telling me that it's shit. But I guess I have to trust you. And after years, I really understood what she meant because I saw many of them. So huh. it's, it's really hard to define quality. Quality comes with education and with like teaching someone why by just... Trusting your instinct when you touch something, you think that there's something that is better than the other. It's kind of like painting to me. When you go to a museum with someone who, 
would just say like, oh, I, I don't mean like going to museums because I don't like, I don't, I don't know anything about art. And he's like, yeah, but sometimes you just have to look and just like trust your yourself that if there's something you're gonna like or something you're not gonna like, but that's gonna create a reaction. Well, it's kind of like that for me. And uh, but again, maybe I'm a romantic, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, but, but, um, no, but I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense, and I I agree a lot with that. And um, and I think also, especially in the context of like, okay, we're many argue that we are at a paradigm shift uh technologically speaking uh everybody's heard about metaverse some of you uh have read about digital fashion you may even work with it there's a, the you know i think we're speaking about the future in a way that we may not have done in decades uh um whereas we've been so preoccupied with the now um so i think we're I'm not sure if that's something you, you you can relate to, but what I'm getting at is, and I think um, one one part of what you, I think you're talking about as well, like that storytelling of the fibers, the threads, and how you weave something of the DNA of a brand into the fabric, then the, which is then used to to create a, a style or a garment. Um, but uh, do you so? But do you do you find that that storytelling? I, I think you speak really eloquently and and passionately about what you do, which I think is a form of storytelling. And and do you find that storytelling is an important part of what you do? Um, I I really don't like the word of storytelling because it feels like very marketed term, but I think it's important to give a context of what you do and how you choose things and uh, the person you work with, depending on the brand you work for. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of um, do like educated, make educated decisions when you choose a fiber more than another, depending on the brand you work for. Like at Celine, we use more polyester and polyamide and more like viscose because it was a bit more edgy that a row, like the row was a lot more classic and a lot more like cashmere and very highly luxurious fabric. And I think, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's kind of important to understand like the dinner of the brand you work for, the, the spirit and what the designer and the, the creative director want to say and that will kind of like tells you like put you on a path at least and even tells you who to work for on the on the fashion market and um, it's only that you're talking about metaverse and digital because I always wonder I started to wonder like I think five years ago what my job is going to be when everything, no one is going to touch anything anymore. Even during COVID, like where we weren't allowed to go to a shop and touch and even try anything. It was the test of any contact and we found all like pretty lonely. And um, I don't know, it would be great to be able to create something digital but without compromising the touch and because mm. The one touch of the screen is so, um, as, how do you call that, like one way, one dimension. It's kind of sad because the world is a lot more complex than that. Mm. 
a lot yeah, more. Yeah, it becomes it becomes quite reduced. I mean, I think that there, there are. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, there are there's a lot of like early technologies. There's something called haptics, which uh, is part. It's built into your iPhone, like it when it sort of responds with a vibration or something. That's mm -hmm. called haptics, and yeah. there's different technologies around that. And there actually, there there are technologies in development that that will create a a physical response based on a digital signal. So theoretically, you will be able to feel a fabric in the future that you only well, see. Maybe digitally. I should change the job then. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, this is probably going to be, you know, quite a few years down the line. But, but I, th I think there's something really interesting about it. Just makes me think, like, yeah, like what would your job look like in a in a digital mm. space, and, and what could you bring to that? Which is quite fascinating. Um, It is, and yes, it's uh, just something that was always in my mind, especially because, like, my ex, when I was living in London, was a CJ, um, VFX uh, designer, so he worked for, like, a lot of commercial and, uh, uh, like, 3D design and stuff, and I was always seeing, like, spending hours and hours and hours in front of the computer doing some animation and lighting of a, a character in the dark room. I was like, oh my God, it's just like mm. clicking, clicking. It's so the opposite of me where I need to touch and pile up things and put colors next to each other and have all this mess to have something that comes out of it. Having something on only one screen, it's always it was very alien to me. Mm. You have to adapt, I think. And that's, I think... The only thing that is missing on that in that in the digital world is the touch, that yeah. centrality that I was talking about. Yeah. Exactly, and and I think that's that's a big challenge at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's fun like you asking yourself those questions, and I think we we work with with a few quite a few young designers in our studio, and uh, I was just saying the other day that some of you guys may be may be a designer in twenty fifty. Uh, and what does the world look like then? You know, it's like what are the mm. technologies that have have developed in that time? So I think, I think it's really <clears throat> that that can be an interesting uh, thought, of course. To, to okay, what does that mean? But I think uh, I think it's always. I mean, fashion uh, famously is the the last industry to digitize, um, and. If you think about it, like the, the way you describe working physically with fabrics, you could easily just, you know, pull the veil and you could be doing this a similar job, if not the same, maybe a century or two ago, uh, where you work with fabrics, uh, yeah. you work with mills. And, and, the, and the, the countries in France, Italy and, and the UK, they have really long traditions. Um, and basically, like that's kind of what drove the Industrial Revolution. Uh, in a big way, like the, the fabric mills. So, do you like that that sort of craftsmanship and the tradition? Do you is that something you uh, does that play into your job and how you deal with it, or is it just like way in the background? Every day, of course. Um, yeah, tradition is a big part of my of my current job because uh, we try to um, uh, play and work with people that have been in the business of cashmere, for example, for 
200 years in Scotland and they have a real knowledge that they've been carrying for years and years and years. But what I find amazing is that despite their age, they always manage to grow and to question themselves enough to keep going and to be relevant. And so I really hope and I really trust humans to be able to adapt and adjust themselves to this new world. It's just like it's never soon enough, I would say. Mm. Never soon Indeed. enough. But yeah, I think it's still very important to not only work with those artisans, but to um, to to sh- to show their work in a way, even not mm. creating more and more and more content all the time. Is uh, it's it's it's, imp- it's important for people for their interest, but there's so many so much information in the world at the moment. I think uh, a fabric should talk by itself by just being right. I would say. And that's a shame that this level of luxury and know-how is only accessible for the happy few who can buy it. That's the only thing. The majority of the market in Europe is just by mediocre or low-quality products that are not made with a lot of love. And I think that's that's bad. But we all have um, different possibilities, unfortunately. I'm more like... I prefer the idea of uh, having less, but having good things that last, and having a lot and things that stay with me for a couple of weeks. I'm not this kind of... Mm. I always spend like months before buying anything. Hmm. Months of thinking. I think there's something quite beautiful about that. And I, I think, I mean... I, I've spent some time just thinking about like what what is luxury? How how do we get to luxury fashion? I mean, we work in luxury fashion in number of Mondays as well, and I think yeah. it's interesting to re- to reflect on it. And I think it almost brings me back to like uh, or I mean, I'm not a historian, but I'm I'm imagining this sort of scenario where it's a it's pre-industrial uh, times where maybe even later too, but where people were poor and. You know, if you, when you bought a pair of shoes, uh, it was important that you bought the shoes from the guy in town who made the, the most durable shoes because that was the only shoes you're going to have for maybe several years. And same thing with a pair of pants. Like you bought the strong pants that were made in a material that was durable. And when you, you know, when you wore them out, you mended them. And there's something like, I think there's, you know, again, that's kind of idealistic perhaps as well. But I think there's something... You can still find that level in in luxury fashion. I think that's kind of how you describe it as well. It's like you invest in something now in a yeah. completely different way. It's not the durability in the same sense, but it's a. The, um, it, it, I, I think there, I think there's something to that which I find quite interesting, um, and I think that's kind of what you're saying as well. Like yeah, you, when you consider something for several weeks instead of just buying something on a whim. Um, again yeah and when you go back to the history of garments as well I think we had clothes to wear to work and clothes for Sundays and uh, I remember always my grandmother telling me that she was buying like very expensive clothes but just for Sundays but she had them for like years and years and years because she really took care of them because it meant a lot for her and the fact that now we can just have something for 20 euros, even, and we know that we're going to wash it twice and it's going to be, it's going to look like 
rubbish, but we pay the price by saying it's well, it's too too it's too expensive anyway. Even if it's mm. twenty euros, it's way too expensive. Um, no, but I think but, yeah, like fundamentally, when we invest in something, I think we we generally want to take better care of it so that we, mm. I mean, yeah, then then we automatically need it to last longer. Um, I just want to change topic just a little bit. You mentioned uh, network uh, quite a, a little while ago now, uh, where you uh, you realized you needed to build a network. Um, can you just talk a little bit about like how like network and fashion, like like how how important is that for for what you do? Um, I think it's kind of the key. Uh, how can I say it's. Starting in fashion is always the too trickiest part, I would say. That first job that you get. Um, and uh, I always felt like not coming from a bourgeois family or not coming from, pa- coming from Paris. I didn't know, I didn't have all the, those codes. So I had to do a school that will like give me the uh, the knowledge and the capacity to work in this world but also to have access to a network that will help me i would just just open the door a tiny bit for me to meet them and then to show them that i actually am capable of doing a lot of things um so but then after network when you once you have this first step and you met that first person who's going to be like okay you know what I'm going to give you a chance and then you, it's, just, it's just you and your luck. Uh, but it's also after you and your work and the amount of time and commitment and passion that you put in your work that will make the difference. And then that work becomes just, I mean, for the best part, like friends, like people that are becoming your friends and part of your life and, um, and people that you love working with that you share ideas and you bounce back ideas or you even like me, what I love the most when I work with people that I really connect with is that they don't even have to tell me what they want. It's just like, there's like a mutual connection with that without needing to be anything to be said, like the perfect relationship in a way, even your husband or your, or your wife, you don't have that. Um, mm. But uh, culture and art and fashion, creating this like common language is also very, very interesting when you start a job or in any company. It's like building this common vision and this common network of vision that mm. I quite uh, appreciate it. Um, yeah, and I mm. think also I develop different networks by traveling in a lot of different cities and uh, and I really yeah make it make it richer and richer uh, year after year, even though everyone goes back to Paris at the end of the day. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> How could it be? Um, I'm, I'm sure there are some some young designers that are. Right, I know there are some. Uh, that are listening. Um, classic question, but I think I think it's always relevant. Um, 
is there something you wish somebody would like what what's what what advice would you have given yourself as a let's say 18 20 year old I don't even regret so it's really hard but I think um, I wish I trust myself a bit more. I, I wish I had a bit more of an ego and be like, no, I want to be, I'm going to be a great designer and I'm going to do that and I'm going to have my own brand and I'm going to work really hard towards that. I wish I could, I could have more, a little bit more ego. And that's why I appreciate a lot in, I always find amazing in young designers that are not scared to start their own brand and do whatever it takes. Like Peter Doe, for example, I, I met him when I, at Céline, and now he's like this very successful and um, American designer based in, in New York. And he just like trusted his guts and he, he worked really hard to develop his vision. And uh, I think it's quite dairy to do that rather than staying very warm and comfy in a nice fashion brand where you, you get paid every month, quite a comfortable salary after a few years. So, yeah, I would be like, just don't hang on to money in the ideal world, but that's a bit hard. I think, yeah, difficult, but that's, that's a, that would be a good advice for sure. Mm. Um, I could definitely sit here and talk much longer. I know you have to go soon, but I just wanted to open up to some questions if there are any uh, in the audience um, you're more than welcome to come up on stage uh, you can raise your hand at the bottom of the screen or you could type it in the general chat if you prefer that so we'll just have a couple of minutes for that if, the, if, if there's anything you guys want to ask Marie I guess we must have touched in on everything Marie <laughs> Everything was said. I guess so. Let's see. No, no, our hands risen. Okay. Well, um, Marie, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and to be a part a of our No More Mondays talks. Um, thank you all for listening. And yeah, thank you for sharing your story. Um, and uh, we will probably do another one in a couple of weeks. So, Stay tuned, everybody, on the Discord and in other social medias. And, um, yeah, wishing you all a good evening or a good day, wherever you are. And we will speak again soon. Thank you all. Bye. Bye-bye.